So this is the second Sunday of Advent, and we're going to begin with the children and young people focusing our thoughts, and we will light our second candle. I am the prophet Malachi, and the Lord has sent me to tell you, I, the Lord All-Powerful, will send my messenger to prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are looking for will appear in his temple. The messenger you desire is coming with my promise, and he is on his way. On the day the Lord comes, he will be like a furnace that purifies silver or like strong soap in a wash basin. No one will be able to stand up to him. The Lord will purify the descendants of Levi as though they were gold or silver. Then they will bring the proper offerings to the Lord, and the offerings of the people of Judah and Jerusalem will please Him, just as they did in the past. I bring a scroll that is written with God's words, that a messenger is coming who will prepare the way for the Lord, add gold and silver coins to show that He will purify His people. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And now let's come to God in prayer, shall we, as we pray together. We praise and thank you, God of all creation, for the wonders of this winter season. For glistening white frost sparkling in the morning sunlight. The clear blue skies in which a pale sun hangs like a jewel. For the stark silhouettes of bare branches against the red-purple-golden glow of sunrise. For the shiny berries on hedge and bushes. For garden birds and city pigeons eating the crumbs that we throw or drop. For fluffy squirrels and urban foxes whose antics delight and entertain us. For rosy-cheeked children, for cold toes and fingers, for the velvety warmth of hot chocolate, for the pleasure of shutting out the dark coldness of the night. We confess that we aren't always grateful for the blessings we enjoy. Sometimes we are so busy rushing here and there that we fail to see the beauty of creation. Sometimes we grumble that it's too cold, too wet, too dark, too damp. Sometimes we get cross with each other as tiredness and busyness wear us down. Sometimes we're so busy thinking about what we want that we fail to hear the voices of others. Please forgive us and help us to live more generously. As we continue our Advent journey, spotting signs of hope, getting ourselves ready to welcome Jesus. Please help us to walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. We have two readings this morning. The first reading is from Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Luke 3, verses 1 to 6. In the 15th year of the reign of the Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler in the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lusanius was ruler of Abilene, and during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And the second reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that on the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Amen. So, how are your preparations for Christmas going? Apart from those of you who have cleared out your cupboards, have you washed out your fridges so ready to get all the extra goodies in? Have you sorted through all the clutter and thrown out those bits and pieces that you've held on to just in case for so long? I think I threw away about three skips full of stuff I'd held on to just in case when I moved to Glasgow. Have you begun cleaning your house ready for the visitors to arrive? Have you got to-do lists as long as your arm in anticipation of the big day? What about those personal preparations? Are you frantically rushing around trying to get everything done? Or are you taking or making the pauses and the space to clear your mind and your heart of the debris and clutter that has accumulated in the last 12 months? 
If you're even remotely like me, you probably set out with great intentions and all too soon, the whirl of preparation has taken over at home, at work, and even at church. I used to have a colleague where I was who complained bitterly about the people who said to him every December, Oh yes, Vicar, it's your busy time, isn't it? Well, it is a busy time, and not just for ministers and vicars and other officially religious people. And it's really difficult for all of us to find the time or to make the time for the spiritual preparations that inside we feel we really ought to be undertaking. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves exhausted irritable, and dare I say it, even resentful of this festival that takes so much from us. I remember the first year I was in ministry, and it got to Christmas Eve, and I was fit to drop. I actually dragged myself up the hill to the church where I was due to lead an evening communion. And I wondered, what's this all about? Have I got something wrong here? Preparation can seem as if it is all doing and nothing about reflecting or thinking or even just being. The injunction to prepare, to get ready for the coming of Christ, is quite clear. John the Baptist saw his task as being that of a herald who announced the coming of the king and called the people to make ready, to repent. The image of road building, of smoothing and straightening, levelling and filling, is a very vivid one. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself imagining not just a Roman road, but probably something more like the M74, long and straight and perfect. this, This king can come down in a great cavalcade. The purpose of preparing seems totally tied up with the physical arrival of a king who comes in power and majesty, probably surrounded by cheering crowds. And it's a really great image, actually, isn't it? This, this idea of a king coming that everybody is excited about, better than any royal visit we might get in this country. For some reason, best known to themselves the people who draw up the lectionary stop short of what John says next. Because John the Baptist is actually quite a scary person, isn't he? And he calls the people who are listening to him snakes. Or in the older translations, vipers. You brood of vipers. It's a fantastic expression, isn't it? He's calling them to account for their attitudes and their arrogance. It's not enough, he says, to be outwardly religious It's not about physical preparation. It's not about road building. It's no good if it's not matched by what's going on inside. I have a feeling that if I'd been there listening to John the Baptist, I'd have gone home feeling rather battered and rather bruised and not really sure I wanted to play anymore. It wasn't so much what he said, which was undoubtedly true, as how he said it. Something tells me that John never went on one of these courses in how to encourage people 
or mentor them or train them up. He just told it as it was. Now, I suspect for us, what we don't need right now is to be told off. It's a danger, I think, that churches can become places where we go home told off rather than encouraged. We all know well enough what our shortcomings are. We don't need someone standing at the front telling us we need to shape up and do better. What we actually need is some encouragement and some help to do the things actually we know. Whatever we might think of the Apostle Paul, and we will have various thoughts about him, and I get cross with him sometimes, what he was very good at in his letters was encouraging the churches to whom he wrote. He always seemed to find something good to say to them, something to encourage them. And it's true with his church here in Philippi, a church that had been generous to Paul in his own time of need. And so he wants to encourage them. He begins with a confident assurance of God's continued activity in the life of the church. This is what he says. I am sure that the God who has begun this good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. Last week we were thinking a little bit about this now and not yet of the kingdom of God. That Christ has come, born as a baby in Bethlehem, living in Judah and Judea and Galilee, teaching and preaching, being crucified and rising. And yet we wait for the fulfillment of those promises at the end of time. In the meantime, in the time in which we live, God is still incredibly active and we can see glimpses and signs of grace and hope that remind us of God's activity. It seems to me that Paul cares very deeply for the little church at Philippi, probably only 40 or 50 people at the most, and he prays for them regularly. I found that quite a pull-up for me, thinking perhaps I ought to pray for my church a bit more, actually. But he encourages them and prays them to grow in the likeness of Christ, and he wants to encourage them in their own journey of discipleship, effectively preparing for the day of Christ's coming. It seems to me there are three strands in what Paul says which are quite useful for us to contemplate this morning. And the way I'm going to work the rest of this sermon is I'm going to talk a little bit and then there'll be a few moments of quiet to reflect on that bit and there'll be three of those. Firstly, Paul says he prays that your love will keep on growing more and more. Or in another translation of the Bible, that your love may abound. I think that's a great word, abound. Loads and loads and loads of love. The church is not a place of polite tolerance. It isn't a holy huddle for like-minded believers. And it isn't a clique for people like us. PLUs, as they used to call them when I lived in Manchester. It's not about PLUs, people like us. It's actually a community in which love abounds. Just a word of encouragement. I was chatting to somebody last night, and they said to me, one of the things I really like about this church 
is the way the people treat each other. Nobody bad mouths each other. You don't hear people saying mean things about each other. A community in which love is abundant, filling the whole thing, that is, is Paul's prayer. As I read that and thought about it, I found myself drawn to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians with its great hymn of love. And I have to say, it's a very overworked passage. You get it used a lot at weddings nowadays. And because in our current translations it uses the word love, people confuse that with romantic attachment. And it's not about romantic attachment at all. It's about Christian love. And reading that passage seems to me quite a good way of reminding ourselves of what love actually is about and how it should overflow into the community of Christ. Thinking about that is perhaps useful as part of our Advent preparations, helping each of us to identify and clear out any attitudes that have built up that are unhelpful. It wasn't that easy when I was saying to the children, What kind of things do we need to clear out that clutter up our own lives? Sometimes we need a bit of help in identifying what those are. So I'm just going to read part of that hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 13. And then we're going to listen and and think, well, what might that say to me that I need to clear out of my life? Love is kind and patient. Never jealous boastful, proud, or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of the wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, trusting. Love never fails. And so we're going to take a moment of silence to think and to lay down any bitterness, anger, grudge-bearing, intolerance, prejudice, or self-loathing in our own lives making space for more of God's wonderful love to flow into us, to refresh and renew us this Advent. The second thing that Paul speaks of, that he prays for this little church, is that they would have true knowledge and perfect judgment in the Good News translation, or in another translation, knowledge and depth of insight. It struck me again that one of the things that can happen at this time of year is we hear very, very familiar Bible readings. We've perhaps heard them since we were little children. We've heard countless sermons, many probably far better than mine on them, But one of the problems is, because we've heard them so often, we don't really listen to them. We don't hear what they say. What actually happens is we hear what we already know. And sometimes, if we're honest, 
We haven't thought about what those passages say in many, many years, even since we were children. One of the things that struck me when I was at college and we were looking at some of the miracle stories and some of the parable stories was that the pictures that appeared in my head were the pictures I I got when I was six. And there's nothing wrong with having six-year-old pictures, but actually God's got new insights and new understanding to add to those. It struck me also that after Paul wrote about love, In the Corinthians passage, he talked about growing up. He said, when I was a child, I thought and I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put aside childish ways. We have a bit of a tension here because Jesus tells us to become like children, doesn't he? He puts a child in the middle and says, you must become like a child. I have a suspicion that sometimes what we think of is somebody like Peter Pan who refused to grow up. We want to cling on to a kind of romantic and nostalgic version of things. We don't want to take responsibility and learn how to think it through. I don't believe for a moment that that is what Jesus meant or what Paul thought of as children. Children are incredibly curious. One of the things I like on a Sunday morning is little people wandering around, looking to see what there is to find out in this place. They're very quiet, incredibly well behaved. But children love to find out more. They want to learn new things and new discoveries. And that, I think, is what Jesus meant when he said, be like a child, stay open, Find out the new things that God wants to show you, to help you to understand, so that, as Paul says, you can have true knowledge and deeper insight. There's more and more for us to grow. I wonder if perhaps it's worth us just taking a moment of quiet and stillness to open ourselves to God and say, actually, do you know what God's... I thought I knew it all already, but just maybe you want to show me more, to give me more knowledge and more understanding. So let's do that now, just a moment of quiet to see if there are ways in which we need to grow in our knowledge and understanding. Then there is Paul's third part of his prayer. That the people will be made pure and clean and blameless for the day of Christ. I quite like that because katharos, which is pure and clean, is the root of my name. So there you go. You're all going to be made into Katrinas for the day of Christ. Sorry about that. Don't quite think so. Be made pure and clean and blameless for the day of Christ. The young people at the beginning of the service read some words from the prophet Malachi that talk about the refiner's fire that consumes all the dross to leave the precious metal sparkling and pure and of the fuller's soap that washes away all the dirt and the debris from the wool before it's made into garments, leaving it bright and clean. We Protestant nonconformists get a bit twitchy, don't we, about the idea of confession. 
especially practiced the way some other traditions do, we think it's not quite kosher. It has this idea of you say sorry and then you have to do a penance. You have to make amends in some way. We're not sure about that. But at the same time, we know that Advent is traditionally a penitential season. That part of the purpose of Advent is about spiritual preparation for Christmas. And more generally, about getting ourselves right with God. In our homes... I guess all of us indulge in just a little bit more cleaning and polishing, just a little bit more attention to making everything as we think it ought to be, shiny and bright and tidy. And it's the same with our lives. Maybe beyond those attitudes that we've already thought about and let go this morning, There are other things we need to be set free from so that we can be shiny and bright as God wants us to be, so that we can be beautiful and free. Maybe there are people here who've got regrets about things that we've done or not done in the last year or so. Maybe there are things we've said and we can't take them back. Maybe there are things we didn't say and we will never get the opportunity to say. Maybe there are things that embarrass us, things that we're ashamed of, things that we are uneasy about that nobody else knows. <coughs> Let's take one more moment of quiet to name these things in our hearts and to experience the gentle cleansing of God the life-giving water of Christ refreshing us and the renewal of God's spirit within us. Advent is a time of preparation, a time of getting ready, a time to clear out the junk that weighs us down, washing away the grime of another year and being reminded of the promises of God, who, having begun a good work in each one of us, will bring it to fulfillment as we grow in love, in wisdom, and in grace. Those things that, in the silence, we confess to God are gone. We are forgiven. We are loved We are cleansed and we are freed. We are able to go on on our Advent journey, confident in hope and joyfully anticipating what is ahead of us. We wait for the Lord, whose day is near, with confidence and hope that this God is always with us. We're going to move straight into our prayers of intercession, which will include a kind of sung chant, a Taze chant. We're going to sing it through twice. And then I will lead us in some petitions with the music continuing to play. And between the petitions, 
we will sing the, the, uh, the chant again. Wait for the Lord, whose day is near. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. who are burdened by regret and remorse, living with the consequences of decisions or actions they cannot change. Grant them the assurance of your pardon and forgiveness, freedom from guilt and the gift of Advent hope. trapped by the refusal to let go of past hurts or offences. Grant them the courage and grace to forgive others, lightness of spirit, and the gift of Advent hope. those who are unwell in body or in mind, longing for the health they once knew and cannot always regain. Grant them the touch of your healing, bringing courage in adversity, comfort in anxiety and the gift of Advent hope. in the news, far away and near at hand, lives broken by human greed or natural disaster, grant freedom from injustice, peace in place of violence, sufficiency in place of hunger, and the gift of Advent hope. known to us personally in diverse circumstances, 
In the quiet of these fleeting moments, we name them before you. Give to them the gift of Advent hope. to grow in faith and grace and the fullness of Christ. Grant to us love in abundance, insight and knowledge, purity of heart and the gift of Advent hope. Christ, we pray. Amen. May we go from here to live, to love, and to work, to God's praise and glory. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and everyone, today and always. Amen.